In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints of God, the fall in the garden and the temptation of Jesus. These are two foundational texts for the church and for our families. For we too are constantly being tempted by the devil, troubled by him. He is constantly coming to us, asking us to question God's word and the good gifts that the Lord gives. To dig into the text, and especially the text of the temptation, we need to first consider two other texts. The first one is the Old Testament that we had. And then the second is the baptism of our Lord Jesus. We have to go to the garden and the river before we go to the wilderness. So we turn our attention first to the garden. Because when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it was not the first time the devil had come to tempt a person. When the Lord created the world in the very beginning, he looked and he saw that everything was good, very good, in fact. He planted a garden in Eden, and he put Adam and Eve there, and he gave them everything that they needed. In fact, he gave everything into their hands. They were to have delight in their dominion over creation. They had everything, except for one tree, the fruit of one plant, the knowledge of good and evil. For the Lord wanted Adam and Eve only to know good and not to know evil. But the devil breaks into paradise to tempt Adam and to deceive them, Adam and Eve in the garden, and he causes them to question the words of the Lord. Remember how it was? The devil says to Adam and Eve, did God really say? And then, surely you will not die. And it was all downhill from there. Eve listened to the words of the devil instead of the words of her Lord. She ate the fruit. She gave some to Adam, and he ate. And at that moment, creation was plunged into sin and death. The the, the, the crunch from Adam biting into the fruit was the sound of the world crashing into the grave. <laughs> we'll note a few things about this temptation that help us when we go with our Lord into the wilderness. The first is this. The devil is always trying to undo what God has done. The devil is always fighting against the Lord. He always hates what is good. Second, the devil always enlists our own will into his wicked schemes. That is, in fact, what temptation is. The, the devil doesn't take the fruit from the tree and pluck it himself and, and, and sneak it into Eve's mouth while she's sleeping. The devil doesn't take the forbidden fruit and, and put it down Adam's throat like you do when you're feeding medicine to your dog. He doesn't do that. He, he lets Adam and Eve do it himself. In fact, the devil tricks Adam and Eve into thinking that eating this fruit is good and right so that they do it. And this is because the devil wants us as partners in his crime. He, he wants them not just to be fallen and dead, but guilty. 
The third thing we note about this is that the devil was tempting Adam and Eve to doubt God's Word. And this is his fundamental temptation. When you boil all the devil's temptations down to their essence, this is what he's saying. God is a liar. You cannot trust Him. And Adam and Eve believed the devil. They trusted the devil and their own reason instead of God's Word. The fourth thing we want to notice, and perhaps the most wonderful, is that when God comes to find Adam and Eve in their fallen state, He gives them, instead of destruction, a promise. The promise of the seed who would come and be crushed by the devil, but would in return crush him. That's the original temptation in the garden, and the result was original sin. A world saturated in sin and darkness and death because of the temptation of the devil. Now, fast forward some thousands of years to the Jordan's River and the Lord's baptism there. This is the other piece of backstory that we need for the, for the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness. John's in the, John's in the Jordan River and he's baptizing all the Jews that were coming to him for repentance. That is, sorrow over their sin. Let's try this. Repentance. Sorrow over their sin and faith in the forgiveness of their sins. John was there in the Jordan River cleansing people's consciences. Jesus, his cousin, comes down to him to be baptized as well. And John rightly notes that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. Jesus has never done anything wrong. He's never said anything wrong. He's never thought anything wrong. Jesus is the only one who never, ever would have needed forgiveness of his sins because he didn't have any sins. But Jesus compels John to baptize him. And when he does, the heavens open up. And the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descends and lands on Jesus and a voice comes from heaven saying, the voice of God the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, we want to note a few things about the text. First, that Jesus in his baptism is being publicly anointed and identified as the Messiah, the one who would provide for the salvation of the entire world. He bears the Holy Spirit in full measure. Jesus is there identified as the promised child, the seed that God promised to Adam and Eve who would overthrow the devil. He's marked as that one. And so he's marked with a target for the devil. The second thing to notice about the baptism of Jesus is that he, Jesus, is given these blessed and marvelous words from the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Remember those words because when our Lord Jesus is driven to the wilderness, these are the words that the devil attacks. It is then immediately after the Lord's baptism that Jesus is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. He's there for 40 days without food or drink, and he's hungry. This is good for us to know, that if Jesus doesn't eat, he gets hungry because he was a man. He has a body that needs food, and it is being withheld from him. Jesus is suffering, and it's not a pretend suffering. It's a real suffering for you. And in the midst of that suffering, and in the midst of Jesus' weakness of the flesh, the devil comes to him to tempt him. Now, a lot is at stake in this contest. The devil knows it, and so does Jesus. 
If Jesus were to succumb to the devil's temptations, then humanity would be lost forever. The devil would win, and we, dear saints, would have no hope of eternal life. So the devil mounts his attack with Jesus with full force, but he does what he's always done and what has always worked. He tempts Jesus to doubt God's word. And, note this, it's not just any word. The devil is tempting Jesus to doubt the word that God the Father spoke to him in his baptism. God the Father says of Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the devil comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, each time, if you truly are God's Son, if that word is really true, you see it? He tempts him to doubt his baptism. But Jesus does not fall. He stands there in the wilderness, wheezed neat from hunger, and he throws the word, the Lord's word back at the devil. Jesus does not fight the devil with his own strength, with his divine power, but he fights the devil with the Lord's word. And in this way, he is our example, for God's word is our only weapon to fight the devil. Jesus throws the word in the devil's face. Our friend Martin Luther expounds on this, and this is an extended quote from the large catechism when Luther's talking about the third commandment. He says this, For let me tell you this, even though you know the Lord's word perfectly and are already a master in all things, and he's being a bit facetious, still you are daily in the dominion of the devil who ceases neither day nor night to steal unaware upon you to kindle in your heart unbelief and wicked thoughts against the, for, uh, against the Lord's word and all the commandments. Therefore, you must always have God's word in your heart, upon your lips and in your ears. For where the heart is idle and the word does not sound, the devil breaks in and has done the damage before we're even aware of it. On the other hand, such is the efficacy of the word, the power of God's word, whenever it is seriously contemplated, heard, and used, that it is bound never to be without fruit, but always awakens new understanding, pleasure, and devoutness, and produces a pure heart and pure thoughts. For these words of the Scripture are not inoperative or dead, but creative living words. And even though no other interest or necessity impel us, yet this ought to urge everyone to the Word, because the devil is put to right and driven away. We see it happening in the wilderness. The devil tempts Jesus to turn the stones into bread, and Jesus replies by quoting the Scriptures. Deuteronomy, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil tempts Jesus to jump off the top of the temple, even misquoting the Bible to trick him, and Jesus responds again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, the devil tempts Jesus by offering to him the entire world. If only Jesus would go down on his knees and worship him, and Jesus a third time quotes the Scriptures. Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. And the devil leaves him for a while. 
leaves him in fact until he would revisit him by Judas' betrayal. So our Lord is tempted. But what, dear saints, is the Holy Spirit teaching us by these texts? What are we to learn? This is one of the most important texts, again, for us to consider, and there is simply no way for us to cover all of these things this morning. But maybe five things to keep in your mind about our fighting against temptation. The first is this. The devil hates you. Never forget that. When the devil comes to tempt you, he acts like he's the one that loves you and that God is the one that's against you. Here, Jesus, here's some bread. Eat it. See how much I care? God said he was your father, but look, he's left you out in the the wilderness without a crumb to eat. See how much the devil cares about Jesus? Right. And that's how he always does it for you too. Like he loves you more than God. And all the while he has his eyes on your destruction. Curse God and die. That was the temptation from the devil for the prophet Job. How could God let you have all this misery and all this suffering? How could God let everything go wrong in this world? He must hate you, but I have a way out. I love you, says the devil, but he's lying. He wants you in hell with him. The second thing to remember is is that the battleground of the devil's temptation is your will. Your conscience. He wants to enlist you to have you on his side of things. He wants you to reach out and take hold of whatever it is that God has forbidden. He will very rarely force feed sin and destruction. He will very rarely stuff it down your mouth because he wants you to do it. Because when you say what you ought not to say, or when you do what you ought not to do, or when you think what you ought not to think, or when you fail to say, do, and think what you ought to fail, what you ought to do, say, and think, then you are the guilty one. And the devil loves that. The devil loves it when you have a guilty conscience. So that he can alienate you from God's forgiveness. The third thing to remember is that the devil is always tempting us to doubt God's word. Just like it was in the garden and just like he did to Jesus in the wilderness. And perhaps we can be even more specific. For while the devil would love for us to doubt God's commandments and all of the scriptures, to doubt even that the scriptures were inspired by God and inerrant. The devil would love for us to doubt all of these things. There's one specific word that the devil is constantly attacking. The word that the Heavenly Father spoke to you in your baptism. The word of God calling you his child. Putting his name on you. The word that forgives you your sins and gives you the the sure promise of eternal life. The word, you are my son, my daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. That word, that you are forgiven, that you have eternal life, that God loves you and that nothing can undo his love. The devil wants you to doubt that, to forget that, to think that that doesn't matter. He always attacks your baptism. 
But fourth, the Lord has not left us defenseless. He has given us a tool for fighting the devil, and that is the Word of God. God's Word is to the devil like the You remember the old fumigation cans that you used to have? Like the old fumigation cans are to the roaches. He can't stand God's Word. It drives him crazy. When we read and speak and meditate on the Scriptures and pray the Scriptures, it drives the devil away. Fifth, and finally, and most importantly, unlike Jesus... We constantly fall for the devil's temptation. We constantly sin. We constantly believe his words instead of the words of our Lord. Unlike Jesus, we do doubt God's word. We do doubt his love. We do doubt the forgiveness of sin that he won for us on the cross. We do doubt that he loves us above all things. And that is why it is so important that Jesus in the wilderness was not just there as our example. Because if Jesus is only our example, then it is pure law and drives us to despair. But Jesus is not in the wilderness just to show us how to do to beat the devil. He is in the wilderness as our Savior, defeating the devil for us, standing where we have not stood, winning where we have lost, overcoming where we have failed. Jesus in the wilderness is our champion. He is the one who holds the field forever. He is the one who overthrows the devil by his death for us. He took upon himself flesh and blood for this very reason. So that he could be tempted like us and yet stand. So that he could suffer in our place and rise again. So that he could die and come back to life all for you. And this, dear saints, in the midst of all of the temptations of this life, in the midst of all of life's troubles, in the midst of all of the fiery darts and flaming arrows of the devil, this is our comfort and our peace that Jesus has withstood the devil for us, that Jesus has died to destroy him, and that this Jesus who stood in the wilderness where Adam and Eve fell, who stood where you and I fall, this Jesus stands now for you, praying to the Father on your behalf and forgiving your sins. This is our sure comfort and our sure peace, both now and forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God The peace which passes all understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.